Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I welcome Kevin Kriegel back to the show. Kevin is a very funny, witty gentleman, also a great actor, someone I've worked with for many years at Sleuth's Mystery Dinner Theater, and uh, I really enjoyed the time all three of us got to spend together. Now, before we get to the show, I do need to welcome another new Tutti Fruity to the family, Linda Kay. Hi, Linda Kay. This is your official shout-out. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Linda Kay is now officially a Tutti Fruity, and Tutti Fruities are people who support this podcast through our Patreon. You can find the link in your show notes or on this episode's webpage if you too would like to support the show financially. Now on to the show. Kevin and Matthew and I watched and discussed Season 7, Episode 6, a New Life, and the original air date was October 26th of 1985. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Kevin Kriegel. Well, Kevin Kriegel, welcome back. What? It's been nine years, it feels like. In show years, it's been six. You were last here, season one. Season one. Episode 11, Running. The one where Mr. Bradley revealed himself to be a fucking dick. Oh, was terrible. I recently listened to that one just so I could um, catch up because (laughs) I'm that far behind. Um, And David, you were all talking about that episode and there's a trophy in that episode that they get to keep and everything. And you were talking about how Usually when you win a trophy, you keep the trophy and that's just it. But isn't like the Stanley Cup one of those things where it's like, oh, when we're done with it, this team it goes gets to the it. next. Well, like even like wrestling belts, you know what I mean? Because I'm a big fan of the WWF. Um, <laughs> so like, you know, Hulk Hogan doesn't get to keep the belt once he wins that. You're putting them in the same, the little facts of life school in the same, in the same competitive world as professional wrestling and hockey players and i i'm sorry i'm gonna hold the <laughs> cast of facts of life to the same standard that i hold randy macho man savage i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's all right all right i can't i can't argue that one thank you it, i did not i honestly didn't know that when i they heard they won the stanley cup i figured they made him a cup and then the next team that wins gets gets another one of the cups i that is new information to me but you know uh, not not that much of a sports guy. I know that may may come as a shock to what? you and to uh, some of our listeners. I, that I thought they just like awarded, you know, somebody's jockstrap. You got <laughs> Stanley's cup. Uh. Oh, God, <laughs> if that were the case, I would have played more sports in college in high school. <laughs> Jesus, especially back then when it, if it was Stanley Tucci's cup. Have you seen him, young son of a bitch? Stick oh. it in. 
He's still a very attractive man of a certain age. Yeah, he's very straight too. Uh huh. But not narrow, as they say. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. he's wide. <laughs> girthy. I think girthy. they call it girthy. <laughs> oh lord. Have you been keeping up, Kevin Kriegel? Have you been watching the episodes? Have you have you watched the the character arcs that we've we've experienced and, um, in the past six years? And listen to every episode of the podcast. Also, in addition to watching every episode, have you? Have you? Yes, and <laughs> uh, even when I had a podcast, I didn't listen to podcasts. So I'm sorry, I have not kept up. I, I, I'm going to fully admit right off the bat, I had a little t- hard time keeping track of what was going on because I had not followed the, all of the character arcs and, and intricate storylines uh, that abound um, in the Facts of Life world because- um, The F-O-L-C-U, you know, the Facts of Life Cinematic Universe is what we call yes, it here, dear. The yes. Falk you. <laughs> Falk you. Wait, was How? that not intentional? Yeah, we, uh, we have not thought of that yet. So that was... Well, then I think we're done. I think yeah, I think I that's... offered you the best that I can possibly <laughs> offer you for this episode. So I... I've, I've always said the FOLC, just because I'm so obsessive with making it like the you know, like the MCU, it never, I'm not shitting you. I'm not, this is like Phoebe looking at the Central Park sign <laughs> when she says, we could hang out in Central Park and have coffee at Central Park. And, oh, I just got that. <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Kevin Kringle. You're welcome. It's my gift to the two of you. Mm-hmm. And you know what else is a gift? What? A baby. <laughs> is, is, is it? <laughs> oh, Sometimes I you wish, need to save the receipt. <laughs> I wish people could see the Zoom faces. I wish this came out on video to look at the, the way the two of you reacted was absolutely amazing. Good I would Lord. like to go on record right now before we even start and say that we are aware of the irony of three white men discussing a woman's right to pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We're aware of the, we're aware uh, we're woke enough to realize that, <laughs> um, that this is ironic. But I would also like to say I am full on team. Um, I would like to say that I am full on team Blair's mom because. Yes. Good I am too. God. Ugh, I can't think of anything worse. It's bad enough I have a cat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it's three gay men talking about uh, a woman's right to choose and make decisions for her body where we will never, ever be a part of that dialogue. We will never, ever get an uncomfortable phone call from a girl going, um, so. Uh, Not anymore. Not at oh, giggity. Oh, that's right, Kevin. I forget. I you used were, to be a straight. You were a heterosexual man when I first met you. I was. You just were running around going, I want pussy. <laughs> and that's how I said it. I don't know why people were surprised. <laughs> that's it's, wow. And none of us suspected back then, really. Yeah, your drag was better be than fair, everyone's at Sleuths. But oh, yeah, no, no one suspected. No, it wasn't. Well, how's about we we get to talking about this very special episode, 
season seven, episode six, A New Life. The original air date was October 26th of 1985. What were you going to say, Kevin? I, why was it called that? I, I, maybe, unless you sent me the wrong, like, I don't, I don't recall that title fitting into the, the episode whatsoever. Well, there's a new life growing in Monica's tummy. Did we watch, did you watch the right episode, Kevin? I clicked the link you sent me and it was not about anybody's tummy. It was not about abortion? What was it? Nope. Oh shit. What no, episode it was, did you it watch? Was Natalie, it was Natalie's swimmer boyfriend. Oh, fuck me. I am not shitting you, Kevin. That's the wrong one. I sent you the wrong link. I Okay, I didn't I didn't ask you about the if it was the wrong link, but I was like, what does a new life have to do with uh, what's your timetable tonight i can watch it immediately okay and we can reconvene in 25 minutes and talk for an hour or so because here's my page of notes no basically uh, it was just keeping track of what happened because nothing happened in that episode oh no okay wait a, a terrible minute. episode it was kevin i am so sorry fuck a duck when yep. did you stop dating women, Kevin? Um, well, I got, uh, it was 2005 when I came out. Seriously? My, yeah, and my divorce was 2008. Mm -hmm. Shut up. So yeah, I he knew and his you wife, when you were straight. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, he and his wife relocated here together, right? You and your wife and your dogs. Yeah. All right, the link is in your email. Uh, All right. So, how about we reconvene at, I just want to say five o'clock. Or 4.45 so we get as Let's much Let's do 4.45 time so we can get some extra. Yeah. Okay. I all want right. as much Kevin Kriegel as I can get. Okay. Well, Kevin, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll jam it all in. Let's let you go from the call and Matthew and I can talk about some other stuff, like some um, housekeeping things about the writer and directors and stuff like that. We can, I can do a little bit of preemptive recording so that we can just get right to it with you. Okay. Oh, let's, what else? Okay, thank you. We love you. Bye. Damn it, David. This is why he hates you. <laughs> Matthew, how dare you? <laughs> oh, my fucking fuck fuck. Oh, God. Too funny. Uh, so Kevin has left the call to go watch the show. So while he's gone, uh, Matthew... I was looking to see if I had anything of real interest to see about uh, Linda Elstead. There's not a lot going on here. She? Um, Linda Elstead's the writer of the show. It's very. Did she short. write any other episodes of the of Facts of Life? Nope. Because that's interesting. Because she did do her homework, though. Because mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of references to former to things that have happened to these these girls. Yeah. Um, most noticeably the one where Blair mentions the lump in her in her mom's breast. And yeah. So she did her homework, girl. I ain't mad at yeah. her. Or so. or the the writer's room decided to have some show Bible moments and supplement it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, she did a very good job. I will go on record ahead of this saying I was prepared to hate this episode. I remember it was Blair's mother uh, has it has unexpectedly turned up pregnant later in life and 
has decided she's not going to proceed with the pregnancy. Um, I would say the A word, but they never say it on the show. It's no. I'm not going through with it. It's mother, you're not thinking about doing that and stuff like that. So they never actually say abortion on it. But, um, and I remember Blair trying to convince her otherwise. And even then, even years ago thinking, girl, you are 21. You are still so young mm -hmm. to, to be like, no, you have to let the, and there are also slight faint ripples of, of Christianity, of sure. Lisa Welchel's Christianity and all that stuff and all those religious arguments, which I don't really personally subscribe to, but that's neither here nor there. But I remember I really didn't like this episode. And now having watched the series through and watching the characters and where they are and learning to love Marge fucking Doucet. Holy shit, this is a great episode with some great, beautifully written scenes, I think. Oh, absolutely. And um, I love that originally when we watched it, yes, the thought was, oh, she's it's late in life. And now that, you know, we're closer to that age, it's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, you know, it's not so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not like she's 60, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I mean, 42, she mentions, I think, in the yes. episode, and it's like, well, okay, I mean, 42 yeah, is fairly common to be having kids nowadays and yeah it's older but i mean i wouldn't want one but i'm nowhere near 42 david um <laughs> but you're far um, far past that of course how dare you but i mean like i said it's hard enough for me to have a cat i can't imagine somebody handing me a kid at this point in my life i, I mean ugh, but yeah. but again a lot of things that aren't um brought up in this um, it, the fact that, you know, how much did she have to do with Blair's growing up? How much did she have to do with raising Blair? So how much is she really as a rich woman going to have like to do with raising this one? And mm -hmm. I'm not saying rich people don't raise their kids, but I mean, she's going to have a nanny. I would, yeah. I would guess or something. Of course. So, I mean, these are things that aren't mentioned in the show, but I, I didn't see, it's not like she's a single mom trying to make it work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, so. like Joe's mom fucking working at a, a shitty bar, the night shift having guys grab her ass. Exactly. It might've been a little, I mean, I'm glad they didn't, but it might've been a little more, um, a little more heartbreaking or, thought-provoking if it were joe's mom that yeah you know like and the fact that money is an option like money like blair's mom it's like well i've got all this money to throw at this kid joe's mom would have been like i can't afford a baby mm -hmm. you know so uh, i think that i just wonder what their choices were <laughs> i think it's just i mean not that i will ever turn down a moment to look at um fudge um no, no not fudge marsh <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> but yeah i'm team i'm team fudge on this episode team fudge. well you always were kind of weren't mm -hmm. you when you think about it yeah well there's two other things we can talk about here while we're we are literally just we're vamping while we're waiting for kevin to watch the show and i kind of love this <laughs> so two things we do reveal in this episode when when monica says well 
darling, I'm not a young woman anymore. I'm 42. <laughs> I know you and I both in our separate viewing were like, <laughs> because Marge Doucet is actually 49. She's not that much older, but she's, this is a 1985, 49, where she looks it. And, I, and see, I, I, I was having a hard time placing her age. I'll be honest with you. Like, mm -hmm. I believed she was 42 because of, because of the fact that it was 1985. And Blair also looks 42. <laughs> so, and at no fault of their own, again, not, not shaming the way they look at all. But God, she's just gorgeous. And I would have and thrown an Emmy at her for this song. I, uh, I this. feel the same way. This should have been an Emmy nomination. No question. The work she, she does here with so brilliant. little so yeah. little screen time and yet this is an indelible character who is consistent i love the way anytime fred is in the room how she always is focused on him and doing that oh well no i asked you because i love being in the company of attractive men and the fact that she's just flirty and plays with men like that and you're like yeah totally that's a woman who's been divorced now about to be the fourth time she was a three-time divorcee when we met her but uh the the fact that the character it's like yes her being flirty similar to how she was flirty with joe's dad and they just struck up a friendship but blair and joe totally misread the whole situation you get from her character and the way she plays it that Monica is just the always the center of attention in the room and mm -hmm. at no fault of her own. Like mm -hmm. she's just, she's just charming. She's funny. And I like, I want to know who in New York has a bad thing to say about Monica Warner. Yeah. I just love her. Like, yeah, I could, I could have watched a spinoff of, of Monica's <laughs> life in New York. They should have called her when they, created um she would have made a great patsy for the american facts or the american um absolutely fabulous oh yeah she's so likable and patsy is likable mm -hmm. and lovable but and still you look at monica and you're like okay she's kind of a i mean i mean you, there's some questionable things about your life you know <laughs> as far as like handing off your kids to be taken anyway mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just love Monica. And I can't believe she was only on nine episodes of the show. It's, it's crazy. And that is why I agree with you. Emmy worthy performances for how indelible this character is. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the actor who plays uh, George's dad, the character of Fred Burnett. Mm -hmm. Not that much to talk about with him, but it's something we can touch base on here. Uh, he's one of those character actors. You see him and you're like, oh, that guy. What's he done? No fucking clue. What's he done, though? Everything. Thank like, you. He's still alive, and his most recent credit is from 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still doing it. And he was not an old man when he made this because of the mustache and because he's bald. You think he's older. I think I tracked that he was 43 or 44 at the time yeah. they made this. Yeah, he was born in 41. Yes, he's 44. Um, he's young, still very young man. He, the only he could thing, have a baby if he were a woman at 44, you know. The only thing I recognized him from was the episode of the Golden Girls where he played um, like a doctor. Rose is going to have surgery 
uh, or Blanche is going to have surgery and to, to put the pacemaker in. And she finds out she's going to have a scar. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I can't have any scars. So we're going to have to cancel this. And he's, his line is, you did know that. And if he's the doctor that tells her about getting her, what the surgery is going to do. That's the only thing I, I recognize. I looked at his whole IMDb, and that's the only thing. He was in the Karen Carpenter story, David, in <laughs> 1989. Very important um, things. Yeah. 90 credits in a 41-year career that is still ongoing. Uh, nine episodes of The Edge of Night in 1983. That was a soap at the time that didn't last. That's It's not a general hospital or a one life to live. But The Edge of Night was on quite some time in the 70s and 80s nine episodes of Aftermash and uh, a series that really confused me because remember last week we were talking about the show called uh, Throb that I'd never heard of the the Diana Canova show that was in syndication. Mm -hmm. Well, here is a show from 1986 to 1989. I knew exactly which one I knew exactly as I was looking through his IMDb when I was doing my research I knew I was like I bet David's gonna bring this up go ahead two seasons on CBS but there were two half seasons 26 episodes called the Kavanaugh's and the Kavanaugh's was basically uh, a dad an older dad played by Art Carney IMDB describes it as showgirl Kit Kavanaugh moves back to Boston after her brother Chuck is widowed. Clashing with her estranged dad, Francis, she focuses on her nephew's priest, Chuck Jr., and twins, Kevin and John, plus shy niece, Mary Margaret. Yeah. Art Carney doesn't play the dad in that. Art Art Carney's just a character in it. Oh, who plays the, the, the dad? Barnard Hughes. Oh, and showgirl Kit Kavanaugh is played by Christine Ebersole. This is post Saturday Night Live, but pre Broadway. I mean, she had been doing stage work, but this is before her big stardom uh, on Broadway. And the brother Chuck, the widowed one with kids, was played by Peter Michael Getz, the guy that's George's dad. Did I ever say his name? Did I say his name earlier? We've just been talking about him cold anyway uh yeah quite the career and um he has beautiful eyes beautiful blue eyes in his close-up i was like wow it's like he's he's more attractive than you think he is yeah well i mean you had to believe for a second that he was partly responsible for george clooney for christ's (laughs) sake so there's that but david that's not the that's not the um that's not what I thought you were going to say. What show did you think I was going to point out? I thought you were going to point out a wonderful show that for somehow lasted two seasons in 1992, starring the wonderful Linda Lavin in a show called Room for Two. In Room for Two, TV producer Jill Curland, played by the wonderful Patricia Heaton, reluctantly lets her widowed mom, Edie, move in with her in New York City. They squabble over life in general. I didn't remember Linda Lavin doing another sitcom after after Alice. Mm -hmm. I watched this. I watched it pretty steadily. I forget what they paired it up with, but it was uh, it was something I watched multiple episodes of and it was pretty good. It actually wasn't that bad. 
Um, I think I think I'll just looking at it, and I I mean this is a credit to Linda Lavin. I think people for uh, maybe it's just me. Tell me if, if I'm wrong. Okay. People would have a hard time accepting Linda Lavin as a as an old Jewish mother, even though she very much is. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. But like I don't know. I just. I don't want to picture her as like a Sophia character. I just want to see her as Alice, as the single mom working through life, you know? <laughs> and I don't really accept her as a, as a grandmother type or as a old mother. Well, she wasn't that old. First of all, remember by the time Alice ended, Philip McKeon was like 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. So we already had seen her with a quote unquote grown child. And remember, Patricia Heaton was young then. This is 19, what did you say? 80, 90? 92. 92. So this predates uh, Everybody Loves Raymond and all that stuff. So um, as you know, to me, I remember watching it and it wasn't weird because Patricia Heaton, she was kind of like Nancy McKeon's character in Can't Hurry Love. Like she was the young single gal career girl. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, as opposed to, you, you might be thinking, Patricia Heaton, Everybody Loves Raymond, and her in-laws are Doris Roberts. Doris Roberts and Peter Boyle, who are in their early 100s by the time they make it to that show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, he's back. Kevin Kriegel has returned. We've been talking this whole time. We have not hung up. We're just like, ah, let's just, let's just pad it. Let's just fudge. Do things I, make I, more sense now? I would have, yes, all of your all of your various comments before leading up to the discussion that I was like, wow, we are this is really an a an abortion centric pregame. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, what did I miss in the past conversations? I must yeah. Oh, I'm glad we didn't ask you to do the synopsis before we figured that out. That would have been. Because I don't I remember if I did this last time, but I always start the show by saying uh, to my guest, it's like I want to put you on the spot and ask you to give a one to two sentence synopsis oh, of the I've episode. Got one. I've got one. In fact, I've got what the name of this what this podcast episode should be called. What should it be called? Monica got milked. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, that was the name of the show that I did in Tijuana um, <laughs> in the late after, 80s. After the um, Helping Hands Theater had to close, right? Yeah, I, 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 funny enough, I, I did not play Monica. I was one of the hands. <laughs> um, help get my equity card, so back off, bitches. <laughs> yes, but had we done that before, and had you said, well, Natalie's boyfriend is this swimmer and he makes a calendar. We both would have been like, <laughs> you're fucking with us, right? I, I would have been like, wait, what? Uh, I am so sorry. Thank you. No, that's but, fine. Well, let's get talking then about season seven, episode six, A New Life. A very special episode. Very special episode, October 26th of 1985, written by Linda Elstad. Uh, She had been a writer and story editor on Dallas, as well as a writer for One Day at a Time, and would go on to do some Falcon Crest and an ABC after-school special called A Desperate Exit, which was a a suicide-centric special, 
and starred Malcolm Jamal Warner and the kid that was the older son on Mr. Belvedere. I can't think of his name. It's something or other. Anyway. Who gives a shit about that kid? He wasn't on this show. <laughs> no. This was directed by John Boab. John is the in-house director. He's been doing all the facts of life. Uh, that's He will be the one who directs most of them. And uh, yeah. So before we start, start, Kevin, since you were last here season one, uh, how, how do you like the new show? Looks, looks a little different these days, huh? I, I don't remember. It was a long, long time ago. Was mm-hmm. this not the same set? I don't know. I, no, I'm just kidding. You don't re- <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. I was about to say, holy fuck, are you? <laughs> no, no. Matthew's yes. laughing at me. Stop. They're, they're older. Their hair is bigger. Their shoulders are wider. Um, things are much uh, more neon. Mm-hmm. Um, the dynamic, still the same. Yep. Girls, yep. get me right here in the heart. <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad. So we're going to start at the beginning of the episode. And we might as well start with David's favorite question. Who's minding the store? Who's minding the store? Thank you. Where was Mackenzie Aston? He was not in the entire episode. So I assume he was minding the store. Okay. Maybe he was. Yeah. Either either that (laughs) or they. They're closed for. Is, is he? It's just terrible. Is he in the show? I can't remember what he did in the show. No, he's not think. in it at all. So that's okay. why I assume he's minding the store. Mm-hmm. Well, after the good episode where he was with, <laughs> with, with Natalie's boyfriend. Oh my I'm gosh. I'm kidding. So oh. we start in the living room where everybody is clearly not minding the store. Blair is reading a letter. Uh, Tootie is trying to snoop because Tootie, you know, She's such a snoop, that Tootie. Oh no, that was Tootie of five years ago. But this See, That's is... why I didn't notice a difference. Exactly, yeah, true. Con- it's called continuity, David, <laughs> continuity. It's called knowing sh- your character. From when she was 10. Uh, so uh, the letter is from Ben. Ben, Blair's boyfriend who is in Alaska. This tracks, Kevin. Ben is a boy that she met in Fort Lauderdale when they went there for spring break at the end of last season. And and they were ready to fucking take off and spend the rest of their lives together. But then he said, oh, but I do have a job I need to do in Alaska for two years. So would you come up and live with me and stuff? And Blair's like, "Um, fuck to the no. So they agreed to basically long distance it and touch base when he got back. Where, and this, I forget, where exactly are they located? Peekskill, New York. Okay. Yes, which is about an hour outside of Poughkeepsie, uh, an hour into the city by train. So not far. Take a left at Albuquerque. David, (laughs) you didn't mention that the most important part of the relationship that she created with Ben over two days during a hurricane Mm -hmm. was that he said, um, they're ready to go off, get married, spend the rest of their life together. But he said, you'd have to give up your money and everything for some fucking reason yeah like it was it was it was ridiculous i, um, I know the reason i know the well, reason why i'm he was a white male ding 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 yes. ding, ding right and there can't he he wouldn't be able to handle his yeah. woman um being yeah. more successful or more powerful or richer than him so yeah 
Yeah. She would have to lessen herself mm -hmm. to be his equal. So the, and by the, equal, I mean subservient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the love that they share has been expressed apparently in three letters in three months because it's 1885, not 1995, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I know long distance was expensive back then. It was. This was before they had one cent per minute after 9 p.m. on MCI. But fucking make a phone call, you billionaire Blair. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I actually wrote that down later. I'm going to jump ahead. But later when her mom was like, just call him. I'm like, he's in Alaska and you're in 1985. Do you know how expensive that call is going to be? Monica, you can pay for the phone bill. Yeah. And then later when she's on the phone, everybody else is outside. She's yakking away on the phone. I'm like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> and it's clearly and, daytime when she's made that call. So right, exactly. That happening. is not your, not your nighttime minutes. She's, like, <laughs> so this is what, okay, so let's, we're going to jump to the end. Spoilers, do it. kids. If do you it. haven't watched this episode, here we go. Ben, your two-day hurricane romance who wants you to be lesser than him 5 a.m alaska time you pick up that phone hey ben guess who's pregnant <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> you know I'm, <laughs> I'm awake i'm awake what what the fuck <laughs> and then over the phone she hears mm, who is that on the phone oh shit Mm. Well, he's yeah. staying in one of the co-ed lumber camps. Yeah. What the fuck is a co-ed lumber? What the hell is a lumber camp, let alone a co-ed <laughs> lumber camp? I, I, I can't. I have no words with all the. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So the deal is George shows up with his dad, yeah. Fred. Hello, Burnett. blue jeans. First off, hello, blue jeans. Did you see those blue jeans walk in the door three seconds before the two of them did? I did. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew, why don't you tell Kevin what you call season seven of the Facts of Life? We call it George Clooney's bulge because it is all I can look at. He is so goddamn beautiful. Like, it's, I, I defy anyone to find somebody more beautiful than 25-year-old fucking George Clooney. Mm -hmm. Oh, God damn it. And that's why I hate you, Matthew. <laughs> How dare you? No. <laughs> I want to run barefoot through that mullet. God damn it. Oh. Now, I, and I, I'm sure you've talked about this already. But like I know he was in this. I know he was in Roseanne, but you still don't really think of him being in anything until ER. Like that's yeah. where he really took off. And to, to see him, like again, it wasn't a surprise that he was in this. But to go back and see him just being goofy George yeah. is refreshing, kind of. So uh, <laughs> the actor who plays George's dad, Fred Burnett, is Peter Michael Getz. Matthew and I were discussing him earlier. Very long, decorated, impressive character actor career. Uh, we never meet Fred previous or after this. Fred's, this is a one-off, even though part of what brings us George Clooney is that his dad's hardware store is across the street. This is the and only there time. there was chemistry between Fred and Edna, I'm sorry. I'm surprised. I thought like, that that could have been a thing. We could have called them Fredna. I, I yes. That's, that would be their Brangelina I, name. Yeah. And previously she was engaged to a man named Ted. We were calling them Tedna. Uh, he and Edna are trying to put their heads together and see if they can do some marketing to help boost sales at both of their stores. And there's attempts at comedy 
for the two of them to be at odds with old ideas versus new ideas. And eh, it doesn't really work as a B plot. The important thing is the scene ends with Blair deciding she is going to make the phone call that she needs to make. Ring, ring, mother, I need you. Well, and this is before, don't forget, um, Edna says, why don't you sit on it, giggity? Um, <laughs> they, ask, they ask Edna her opinion on whether she should, Blair should call her this boyfriend that she knew for two days. Um, yeah. And Edna Don't make says, a rash decision. Don't make a rash decision. Really, Edna? Where's Ted? Where's Ted? Yeah, this exactly. This is the guy you were engaged to like a week ago. Really, Edna? Really? Yeah. Where's Ted? You're going to tell me don't take a rash decision? Okay. Yeah. And I, I may have skipped over the fact that Blair is comparing this letter to some previous letters and she's doing that, <sighs> that crazy bitch thing. Women, am I right? Reading into the letter, reading between the lines and inferring that she thinks he's losing interest in her, that he may be drifting away from her. So that's why there's a, a, a drama, there's a, a crisis surrounding this that uh, precipitates Blair calling her mother. Isn't that so then, funny? Because nowadays you just send a quick Snapchat and that'll get his interest right back. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> send, a, send a pussy The pick. fact he's getting letters. In today's world, you just ghost her. Like, you yeah. just stop sending letters from Alaska. <laughs> Who's got time for stamps? Like, <laughs> which word? Just, I'm in Alaska? Oh, um, I've either married someone else or I was killed in an avalanche or I was eaten by a moose. I don't know, but or like- fell through the ice, yeah. Yeah, you know. How many people were ghosted in the old days simply by one letter that got lost through the US Postal Service? Where it's like, well, I wrote to him and then I didn't never got another letter back. It's like, I wrote you. It, you never wrote back to me. Anyway, yeah. thank God for technology now. Demi Moore got ghosted. <laughs> okay. That was that was for that was for Matthew because I damn it. <laughs> his face. <laughs> I'm not mad at you for the joke. I'm mad that I laughed at it. <laughs> <laughs> but, then but, my job here is done. And now we get to the scene where we meet Fudge Doucet, ladies Marge. and gentlemen. Okay. Stop calling her Fudge, Matthew. What, thinks, what's her name? Marge, M-A-R-J. Oh, Marge. Oh. Marge. It's like Marjorie. Marjorie. Without the Ori. Yeah. Uh, Marge Doucet. Marge is... Ori. <laughs> so Matthew keeps calling her Fudge. Because Marge, the name Marge, it's just that doesn't fit that gorgeous woman. Uh, what act what agent said you know what we're gonna make your name marge i would have been like mm, how about something else because some queen in 2021 is gonna call me fudge <laughs> so with this we are in the store now no longer in the house and this is the first time monica warner blair's mother is seeing the store and uh kevin we have already previously talked mm -hmm. about uh, Marge Doucet has been on the show before as Blair's mother, and she is fan-fucking-tastic. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. She's brilliant. Like, she is, I mean, as much of a, of a golden age Broadway diva or even, or like Hollywood diva that you can squeeze into a sitcom mm -hmm. in her, I mean, her, 
just loving everything and the dice earrings. Look, cubes with dots. <laughs> like yes. just a hundred percent in. Yeah. And just uh, you know, I mean, she's primarily so element, but so perfect. Yeah, she's primarily a soap actress, so uh, that's kind of I think where she cut her teeth playing the grand dam as it were. That makes sense. And but her comedy chops, her comedy chops are just, yes. just, just the way she throws away the line, oh, I hope I brought my checkbook. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And the fucking tootie. We take credit cards. Um, travelers, uh, travelers checks. checks. And we have an amazing layaway plan. Was that a joke? Or was that like, like she's like, oh, we have a layaway plan. Ha <laughs> ha. Because it's a fucking Spencer gift, for Christ's sake. <laughs> 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 it's a Spencer Gifts. And it's like they in the set of Saved by the Bell's little burger joint. Like it feels like the same. The it, Max? Like, you mean the Max? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, they just, you know, when this show was over, they just wheeled it next door and put some booths in it and made it the just it has the same feel to it. But it does. Totally, totally does. Uh so we love her so much she is so great the performance is fantastic and and the fact that she can go and change gears so quickly between being lighthearted and you know just the 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 bell of the ball the life of the party the center of attention you mean how how quickly she can i don't know act yeah thank you you don't normally see in sitcoms of the 80s Uh, yeah yes Cubes with dots. <laughs> I'm pregnant. <Yeah. laughs> Even the delivery of that line is so good. Yeah. So, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and the way she pauses, the way they have that moment of Blair going, <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's called a pregnant pause, David. Ah! Pregnant pause. Oh, don't you even, Kriegel. Damn it. <sighs> Anyhow. Um, she is dressed fantastically. She looks like a 1920s matching jacket and skirt, but it's like a knit and it's got a drop waist and she's got one of those bullet shaped hats and a fur over one, uh, over one shoulder. She looks over two shoulders would be, would be pretentious. And that would be a little excessive. Don't you think, dear? Yeah, it's too much, too much. Mm -hmm. Well, we're very close friends with the costume designer, Kevin. Uh, frankly, season. frankly. Yeah. Mm. So we had her on the show. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yep. Well, uh, brilliant. That outfit right there in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So we do have the pleasantries of other people coming in. Oh, Monica. Hi, how are you? In comes Mrs. Garrett and Fred again, still talking and arguing about their tactics for marketing. And then uh, we get to where Blair shows the letter to Monica. And she says, so I need your help. Tell me, what do you think? And she just takes a quick glance at it and she says, call him. There's something brewing. And Blair's like, what? what And she just goes, I'm an expert. And she's fucking right. I believe her. I totally believe her. Uh, So they sit down at the table that's, you know, down in front, in front of the, the store and the flattering lights. And she says, oh, I'm so glad you tell me your problems because, you know, I could also tell you mine. And Blair is still like, okay, so I'm going to write to him or should I call him? And then I'm pregnant. 
I could tell, well, no, but I, what I love, I could tell you mine, Blair says something else, or I could tell you mine. Yeah. That, that, I was just like, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> pay attention, Blair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Read the room, read the room. Right. Uh, and so this is where she lets it drop that she is pregnant. Now, this is new information that we have not heard when Blair says, you can't be pregnant. You and Steve are getting a divorce. We don't know who Steve is. We never heard about this other dude. We were not aware that Monica had remarried. All we knew was she was a three-time divorcee. So this new husband, which thankfully has popped up to impregnate her, God forbid it happened out of wedlock. Uh, but the deal is... Um, you know, okay, so they're in the process of getting a divorce, and it was while they were negotiating. What is it she said? Our divorce lawyer said, uh, "Have one last discussion about it." Or something. He tells her that they want he wants them to sit down one more time and try to reconcile. She goes, "So we sat down, and one thing led to another." And um, I love Blair. Goes, "How did this happen?" And the yeah. look on Monica's face. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad that they were able to squeeze in one of those classic. I'm pregnant. How did that happen? Yep. That's oh. comedy evergreen. <laughs> elbow, elbow. Nudge, Never nudge, not nudge. funny. Never not funny. Mm. Um, so uh, Blair is suddenly like, oh, fuck, you're, you're not kidding. And she says, well, uh, how are you? How, how do you feel and all that? And Monica quickly swoops into light and breezy. Oh, I'm fine, dear. In fact, I feel so much better now that we've talked about this. And she's just marvelously like, oh, okay, I told you that, la, 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 la. And so with that, uh, we then go to the next scene at the house. They've decided Monica's gonna take everybody out to dinner. That's right. the point of the next scene. Yeah, now, now we're coming home from dinner. And Armenian. Armenian food, Armenian. yeah, you know, Peekskill, the Armenian food capital of the world. So we have this great <laughs> moment where Joe, sensing something is wrong with her girlfriend, does say, hey, Blair, I noticed you didn't say a word during the whole dinner. The first thing that happens is Edna says to him, Edna and Fred walk in first, and you see, and you Edna, you are not going on TV as a nail singing if I had a I hammer. Had a well, first of all, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> I, I think he should have done it personally. If they could afford a TV spot, should have fucking done it. That would have been genius. I mean, it writes itself. You're not going to get hammered on TV. You're not going to get nailed. It, I mean, it writes yeah, itself. It is. It's true. But this is when Joe walks in, her entrance, her line is, entrance line is, it's, she says, worst moussaka ever. Excuse me, you barefoot Contessa. You're from the Bronx. Excuse me, you and your international palate. Mm, not the best moussaka I've ever had. Sit down, Joe. Well, yeah, right. Like, as compared to the other moussaka, yeah. like, the, the, the other Armenian, joint in time. Yeah, the other Armenian <laughs> restaurant that they always go to was closed, apparently. Hmm. Ugh. Anyway, go ahead. Well, <laughs> then Joe senses that something is wrong with her girlfriend. So she, after complaining about the food, she then turns to Blair and says, Hey, what's the matter for you? Uh, you were quiet and didn't talk the whole dinner. Hey. And uh, at this Spot point. On. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's I'm a professional. Right. 
I'm an Kevin, actor. Kevin, you haven't been around since Joe's been on the show, so you don't get, or you don't get the Bowser impression that that David does. <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, but before Blair really has a chance to answer, Tootie and Natalie come in, and it's just filler dialogue that doesn't mean anything. They just need these two cackling hens to walk through, go upstairs, and yes, get out of the room. Have- They've got to get through and up the stairs for the best bit in the whole show. Agreed. Thank Biggest you. laugh in the show where Blair looks at Joe and says, my mother is pregnant. At which point, Judy and Natalie, who are at this point, like three floors away, they're like, what? what? And they come running downstairs in a clamor. Did you say what? Oh, my God, I can't believe it. And Classic Judy and Natalie. Oh, those Snoopy McSnoopersons. Um, so they say, well, how do you feel about it? And she's like, I think it's great. Uh, how does she feel? And Blair says, I haven't been able to get her alone, but think about it. My mother pregnant. Yeah, sure. She went into Jan Brady there. Um, I was gonna say, you went into Snagglepuss is what you went into. <laughs> Exit. <laughs> My mother's pregnant, knocked up even, bun in the oven. Uh, so then the next scene is later that same night at the dining room table. Oh, they're drinking coffee because when they came in, Mrs. Garrett turned to everybody and said, anybody want an espresso? And espresso. Who the hell knew what espresso was in 1985? Only the rich people. If you can was, make it, you was, can pronounce it. Oh, uh, I uh, my problem with that was, um, isn't it pretty late for an espresso? And then he goes, as long as it's decaf. Is there? I don't drink coffee. Is, I, is there? A I don't decaf either. Espresso? I don't even think there is a decaf espresso. I don't know if there is. There might be. Because well, there might be, but it's like that seems like a sugar-free jolt. You know what I mean? Like a, a caffeine-free, like, sugar-free jolt. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, a, yeah, there is decaf espresso. That does okay. that is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh so okay. Who yeah. Knew? Yeah, because it was late and it's like you just had their whole friggin' meal. That is weird to be maybe that was Edna's way of being like, hey Fred, you wanna dress up as the hammer and I'll be the nail? <laughs> <laughs> or or vice versa. Yeah. So then the three of them are talking, the three adults, as it were. And and the, the scene is just still, it's this B plot of Edna and Fred, and they're talking about skywriting now. And yes, but going going back to the brilliance of Marge. Marge. Her line yeah. about, Boy, yeah, you about Marge. To, you, you, you've got to invest in advertising. I do it, you know, what two hours every morning. Putting on my that, makeup. Yeah. yeah putting, putting on my yeah. makeup. That's brilliant. I'm like, yep, that's exactly what that is. Like, yeah. And she is so marvelously flirtatious with Fred. I fucking love it that that's, it's like, yes, that is how Monica acts with men or any man that she comes in contact with. That's how Monica got knocked up. Yeah. She's a hua. And did you notice while she was all handsy with Fred, there is a shot of Edna like, get your hands off Fred, you fucking pregnant bitch. I, like, I saw her give her the look and I couldn't <laughs> I expected it to be. I expected it to be a get your hands off my man. Mm-hmm. But then it was kind of a, oh, like, yeah, good for Fred. There was a oh. weird, it was ambivalent. And I'm like, 
Yeah. Well, maybe, so then maybe that's why we don't see Fred ever again because yeah. Edna was like, whatever, you can have it. <laughs> and a no. hammer can hit more than one nail at a time. <laughs> it does also, you're right, Kevin, that just proves that once again, Edna is the perfect human being. Mm-hmm. She is. She's, <sighs> she lied last week, Matthew, and don't you forget it. Yeah. So Blair comes downstairs in her pink bathrobe with these beautifully shiny dots all over it. I love this bathrobe. Um, Edna and Fred have gone out of the room. So this is Blair finally getting a moment alone with her mom. And so she starts talking to her mother. Remember, I always used to pester you to have a baby brother so I could play with him. And now you're going to do it. And I can play hide and seek with him. Blair, there isn't going to be any baby. I'm not going through with it. And that's where we first not going through with it. First euphemism for abortion. Um, so Blair is just you. What Blair is outraged. And she says, when did you decide this? And she said, right after the doctor told me. And she's like, so... Did you just come here for my blessing? What did you flip a coin? And Monica smartly says, Blair, that's not fair. It's like, you have no fucking clue, bitch. And Blair runs over to a random jar of coins that they keep on the sofa table. It's a swear jar, David. It's a swear jar. (laughs) Jesus. Every time Mrs. Garrett says cunt, she has to put it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So then... Blair reaches in and hands her like a handful of change and says, here, why don't you make it two out of three? And then one of the greatest sitcom tropes of all times, storming up the stairs. That is something wonderful that the Edna's Edible set did bring us that we did not have at Eastland. We had a little bit in the kitchen, a little bit as far as that little staircase. But no, this is a this is a fucking staircase with a balcony. So there is some impact to be had when you upsettedly run up those fucking stairs. So here's my question. And and it kind of gets asked in the next scene. Yeah. But why did Monica bother to tell Blair? Only because she's already admitted to not having that kind of relationship with Blair. I -hmm. get it. If, if they're like, besties and they're you know and she's like i wanted to let you know this happened and this is what's going to happen as and whatever blair would never have known you know what i mean like it how you are right because because they didn't have that relationship for that to happen like i i would have guessed monica had five of them already and didn't tell blair about it Oh shit. And that's not a and I'm not shame and not in a shameful I'm not trying to shame her for that, but I'm just like it she just she just seems she goes through husbands and babies. Yeah, she just could have like, done it and not said a thing. Yeah, like you're right. No one, I thought that no too. One for the better. Like so what you know I have I've I have thoughts about the <laughs> end of this the episode as well. Like where what's this, the point of this episode? But yeah, this I could say I could argue this is a missed opportunity because at one point, when we when we first meet Monica, uh, this Marge Doucet is Monica, the only Monica, not that bitch in season one who I don't know who the fuck that was. 
just terrible. Um, it's because there is a cancer scare and Blair finds out not through Monica. Oh. She finds out through another source and Blair does have to number one, say, mom, I'm going to support you. And Monica saying, no, you're my daughter. You shouldn't have to do that. And you don't need to take care of me. And they do have a fairly deep heart to heart where Blair says, mom, we do not have a deep relationship. We go shopping together. We're more like sister friends. We need to work on this. And um, it would have been lovely if Blair had said, well, why did you bother telling me? And have her say, well, all the years that we spent distanced from each other, all the great things and strides we've made to try to be better family members and to you know lean on each other as you've been getting older, I'm, I'm trying to continue doing that. I, I thought of not telling you, but the thought of keeping it a secret from you was even more unthinkable. That would have been fine, don't you think? That's, that's too much message. Yeah. Wow. We got 23 minutes here. It's the, the, it's... the real message, we, again, I'm going to jump ahead. So I'll, maybe I'll save the real message to later. But the real message was clearly, if you're in your mid-40s when you get pregnant, let your 20-year-old daughter take care of it. Yeah. Give her your baby. Yes. Because she asked. She does. I forget in this scene where she says, Mom, don't get rid of it. Let me have it. Yeah. And is that because now or is that Blair's later? the most responsible. That's later. Yeah. It, it is later. That's, that is ahead. later. I'm, okay. All right. I, we're getting ahead so of I'm screwing, <clears throat> I know. I know. I'm screwing up your, your order. Yeah. But David, during this scene where Blair asks, the, asks she's having this heart to heart with Joe, strangely, in two different beds. Um, <laughs> but, um, she, and I wrote down as well, I agree with all with both of you that is a valid point why does she tell why does she have to tell me about this but um that's the first time we see the girl's bedroom since, they have that in my since notes too the, since oh, the fire it? and it, oh so okay so you gotta catch me up so how long have we been in this location time wise we don't know but episode wise this is the sixth episode of of this and oh, they of edna's and Edna's edibles burned down in episode one of season seven. Okay. So this next scene <laughs> that you... Back on track, sorry. Yeah. So no, no, that's fine. We're happy uh, to help. Uh, so uh, yes, this first look at the bedroom is because Blair clearly needs to work through some stuff. Blair needs someone to talk to. So who do you turn to? Girlfriend. Yeah. And yeah. she and Joe are in neighboring beds. <laughs> and... Uh, lickety splits and uh so blair is just working through how could she do this and what do you think and of course tootie and natalie if they heard across the house that blair's mother well, was pregnant why were they even pretending that they were sleeping through this conversation well, that's, but I, it was I, cupid again like natalie has the best line in that scene because they're having this conversation and then Natalie says something sleepily over there. I thought we, and then Blair's, I thought we were having a private conversation. She's like, we're two feet away from you. Like, yeah. what, what the hell? Yeah, because we were looking over your shoulder. On. Yeah, we were looking and, over your shoulder, reading a private letter between you and your boyfriend in broad daylight. Four, what, what the, the fuck? Four of us 35 year old ladies still <laughs> share a bedroom in the exact same layout as the last one like i can't true true that um i can't 
I can't. Cannot. Don't, don't worry, Kevin. We discover different <laughs> rooms that become necessary as the show goes on in the house. Like of they course. open up an attic and they you, they act like, oh my God, we might as well have found Anne Frank in here for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and when they renovated, why didn't they renovate the attic in the process so somebody could have gotten her own bedroom? Like Greg Brady. Like yeah. Greg Brady. But but here's the thing. We, okay, put a pin in that attic. Put a pin in it. We're going to come back to that shit. Some of the nice things that Blair does say in this conversation is she says, um, Joe says something like baby should be wanted. I think, I think Joe says that. And then Blair says, well, I wonder if she wanted me. Maybe she thought about not having me. And what do you think? And Joe says, I have no right to judge your mother. And Blair says, but if it were you, you'd have the baby, wouldn't you? And Joe just kind of shrugs. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's probably not going to be a problem. You know what I'm talking Joe's like, about. No, no, my wife is going to carry our baby. <laughs> but Joe does say, whatever she decides, you'll get past it. And Blair says, what, what do you mean? You think I'm just going to go out and buy some uh, a designer handbag and forget all about it? And there is a sense of, um, yeah, that's kind of what you do, Blair. Well, and but, not to jump ahead, but I'm guessing we never talk about this baby again, and I'm sure it never, we never see it, right? Oh, in the future oh, oh Kevin. Or do we? Oh, contraire, Kevin. I don't remember that. Maybe I stopped watching the show in 1985. Oh, contraire, Kevin. This is October. We are watching this episode as playing right before Halloween. The Christmas episode. Does she guess, have a baby? She's got guess who gives birth at Christmas? <laughs> I don't know how... She I don't carries. remember that at all. I don't know why uh, she only has a an eight week pregnancy. I think she paid the fast pass. It was like it's like the speed pass at the airport. She paid a little extra for the expedited gestation. Um, yeah. Wow. No, she does, and and then we do later have the. I mean, because this is season seven, season nine, isn't? Don't they even have like you know the, right. uh, a baby like a you know almost a toddler? No, it's a toddler Maybe. that they lose track of. Oh. <laughs> right, that is. That's right. I remember See, that. Uh, so, okay. See, I mean, it's starting, it is starting to come back now. Mm -hmm. That That is totally, I mean, they clearly cousin Oliver themselves with the baby. Yeah. That's how you, oh, let's add a baby to the show. But it's only sporadic. It's not like this is a, you know, a regular recurring character. Yeah. Mackenzie Aston is more the cousin Oliver than oh, Blair's true. little brother. <laughs> or if you say one bad word about Mackenzie fucking Aston, don't you, you know goddamn what, dare! You know what would have been a great crossover what? is if when 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 Monica gave birth, it was to Small Wonder. Remember oh, Vicky! <laughs> Vicky, well, yes. It's like, Mom, you gave birth to a robot. <laughs> Well, of course, dear. How do you think I had it in only two months? <laughs> <laughs> That's the last time I use a discount dildo. <laughs> no, no, Jesus. <laughs> oh, dear. So um, the last word of the scene, and this is a nice scene. By the way, they're all in adorable say, pajamas. It's adorable. A, it's, an awkward, it's an awkward conversation um, because it's not, it isn't, too preachy i mean it really is no it's like it's le legitimately like, working through Tootie, shit. you know tootie has you know i think i know what i you know i i think one thing when i hear other people talk about it but then when you're actually kind of dealing with it 
you know, you, you take other things into account. Like it's, and also Monica's 42. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I mean, not to be ageist, but like, yeah, when no, she's Blair's age, she's going to be in retirement. Like that's, yeah. I mean, you have to take stuff like that into account. I mean, yeah. it's, and nowadays women are having babies later. This, sure. I mean, we 42 is old for 1985. The it's amount very old for 85 for the amount of complications that a woman could have with a pregnancy that medical science had not yet uh, evolved toward being yeah. able to sidestep or mitigate. Uh, I mean, that was that's a big deal, you know. So those are absolutely valid questions that um, yeah. that a woman would be asking herself. Uh, and so the, the scene ends with Blair with a lovely line where Blair says, this is family we're talking about. How can she say no to that? Which is, I think it's nice. I, I've been I saying no to my family. for. What, what, say that again, what? We both said the same thing. You say it, Kevin, you get the joke. I just said, I've been saying no to family for years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, (laughs) so then the next morning, just when we thought we had that nice little scene, the next morning it's at the breakfast table. Uh, Mrs. Garrett is, uh, putting, what is she putting down breakfast dishes? Is it breakfast time? What has she got? Coffee? I don't even know. I think there's a plate of Danish or it is coffee. It is coffee. You're right. It's coffee. Yeah. They're having coffee, but Monica comes down and she's got her bag with her. And she's like, oh, how did you sleep? Oh, I always sleep better in the country. It's like Peekskill's not quite the, you know, Peekskill ain't Syracuse, honey. And even then, this you're still in New York State. You're not like out in, you know, yeah, Central. Yeah, but or... it is a small town. If, if, if Spencer Gifts and the Hammer and Nail Store are competing <laughs> with the big mall by getting a, trying to get a Skywriter or a prop duster with a flag on the back of it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in the country, David. I guess you're, you're okay, in the I guess country. You're right. Compared to her being a true New York City gal, I'm sure lives on the Upper West Side, exactly. blah, blah, blah. But I can always we... sleep better in the 1880s. <laughs> <laughs> but if we could please now remove the pin I requested regarding the attic. Yes. Where the fuck did Monica sleep? We have four girls sharing a bedroom. Mrs. Garrett has her own uh, because they like to. Uh, Mrs. Garrett has her own room that we never, ever see. I don't believe in the entire span of the show. Let Uh, her have some privacy. She's uh, a woman of a certain age. But we had this happen back at Eastland where cousin Jerry would stay over and, you know, well, don't wake her up before she comes on down. It's like the girls were living in a fucking storeroom. This isn't a goddamn hotel. Where are they staying? You wish there was at least some reference to. Um, oh, and Monica I got the day bed in the hallway. Yeah, or just, um, oh, I slept wonderfully. And Edna, I love what you did converting the attic to a guest room. All you had to say, all it had to be to Edna, make me happy. That jacuzzi tub of yours couldn't have been more <laughs> comfortable. With that, uh, was it a handmade quilt that you wrapped me in? <laughs> like a veritable pig in a blanket i felt wow i only stuck my head on the faucet twice 
So Monica and Edna have a scene where they have kind of a heart to heart and Monica doesn't tell Edna. Edna does not know what's really going on here, but she does say, you seem like you've got something on your mind. And Monica talks about thinking about my life and feeling like I haven't accomplished anything. Is that what she says? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And <clears throat> so. And then she says, Edna, what do you think of me? I'd like to hear your impressions. Well, that's the best taste in pickle I ever heard. Oh, <laughs> What's the joke in, is it Airplane 2, where it's like, could you give us your impression of Mr. Stryker? I'm sorry, I don't do impressions. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I took it more of a, oh, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> was, uh, but, but Edna goes into Edna mode and is just but it's just her soup uh, mrs garrett's superpower kevin is these moments where she just rips your heart out shows it to you and then throws it away you know beautifully done yeah, yeah. monica like, you know i've got no I've, I've i've accomplished nothing what about blair well you did that i was a you know i was a, a shoulder friend. cry on occasion yeah i was a friend that's all Mm-hmm. But that's a great point that they bring up from a, a show Bible moment to have her say, um, I'm not sure I've done enough with my life. Not like you, Edna, like to have Monica say, I admire you. You brought up two sons. You started a business. You have something to be proud of. And that's Monica Mrs. got money from her husband. Yeah. Like, you know, Monica has never worked a day in her life. Oh, fuck no. She has just, you know, and she has her socialite life. She's yeah, you know, sent her kid to boarding school. Before that, the nanny took care of her. You know, mm -hmm. she. So but to have course, Mrs. That's that's the person you come and tell you're having an abortion to. Yeah. <laughs> but when she when Mrs. Garrett says you should be proud of Blair, and she says, "Oh, I am," but you're partially responsible for that, and I don't know if I've ever properly thanked you. What a beautiful line to have, Monica acknowledge the fact that Mrs. Garrett has been a surrogate parent to Blair and absolutely has been influential. Um, and then Edna, her, her bumper sticker wisdom, we all want to be perfect and none of us ever are. And Monica says, I'm selfish. I always have been. And the conversation is sort of interrupted. So we're already aware that Monica has been in deep thought and thinking about herself and what she's done with her life. Um, so then Fred and George come in and the excitement is that instead of a sky rider, they've hired, what do they say? A crop duster with a plane and a banner. They had a banner made. He will do it. We found a crop duster who will do it for the gas and the glory. <laughs> oh, that is the name of my sex tape. It's a specific <laughs> fetish. But uh, crop duster, the gas and the glory. The glory. That's yeah. yeah, crop duster colon. Colon. The gas right. and the that, glory. The gas and the glory. Yeah, that's what I suggest. But my favorite, what my favorite, I've said now my favorite like four or five times so far, but my favorite line in this scene, which dates it so well, he comes in, Fred comes in with his bottle of champagne or whatever and and she's like look let's have this and she's like oh, you're so outrageous he's like we'll just put it in you know or we'll just put it in the orange juice and call it a day you're so outrageous yes the 80s when mimosas were 
outrageous. Yeah, like, when no one had heard of a mimosa in the 80s with all the Coke they were doing, it didn't occur to them. They could also drink right, in the exactly. morning. Just drink it, exactly. <laughs> oh. They should check with Joe, though. You know her, her palate. She might not appreciate <laughs> a, good, a good mimosa. I mean, she's still worried about that moussaka, for Christ's yeah. sake. What is this? This isn't champagne. This is not from the... Sh- Champagne yeah, this region. isn't from Champagne. This, this is, is just sparkling is, California Prose- wine. What is this? Prosecco? <laughs> My favorite brand is Brute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So oh Blair God. comes down after uh, Edna and Champagne and Fred and George. They're all running out toward the store because they want to be on the main street to watch the the sky banner come by yeah Claire comes down and she's wearing the bathrobe again at which point i went wait a minute is that what she was wearing when she was laying in bed yeah she wore that bathrobe to bed it's the same thing she had on not a night cold in there it's cold in there natalie likes the windows open it's october we've discussed (laughs) (laughs) um but the deal is blair says to her mother I need you to hear something. And this is where I'm like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ, girl. (laughs) And then she says, I think this baby deserves a chance. And she says, give the baby to me. Let me raise it. Which is like, holy shit, girl. And it's, it's Blair. Have we, I mean, I know she's, does she have the sense of responsibility to be raising a child? I don't think of her as the responsible one. I mean, she's she's her mother. She's her yeah. social like she like. <laughs> it's terrible. You're just gonna give it to Joe. You're gonna make Joe raise it. <laughs> Mrs. Garrett, can you watch the baby while I go out shopping? <laughs> yeah, we we tried having a baby there back in season two, and it it didn't go very well. You um, just described that, Kevin, so perfectly. And it's exactly, it's like, uh, 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 like there are no words. It's just. Uh, I don't want I, you to make the decision to abort a baby because that I perceive is a bad decision. Let me counter it with probably a worse decision. Worse decision, right? Give it's it to a, me. I, I'm I, co-owner I, of a Spencer Gifts in Peaks, you know, <laughs> in the country, you know, I can provide for her. Thank God there's a college here. So some people come in and buy all of their attire here, as we mm. saw in last week's episode. We could, yes. we, we could renovate the attic and turn it into a nursery <laughs> if we wanted to. So <laughs> just keep just roll it in with the girls. And a, never a, mind the whole plenty of room for a crib. Never mind the whole, I'm your mother, I'm your sister, I'm your mother, I'm your sister, yeah. I'm your mother, I'm your sister. Never mind that. It, yeah, mm. it's it's very, very upsetting. Oh. And thankfully, Monica immediately says, absolutely not. I'm paraphrasing. Two uh, minutes later, she changes her mind, though. But, but, well, here's the deal. She says, letting you raise my child would be my biggest failure. Because yes. for the second time, I'd be turning childcare over to somebody else. Yep. That's no. And that's wonderful that Monica ended there. gets it. But um, 
uh, Blair does say, um, but you were a great mom. Yeah, you missed a few recitals. Recitals. Yeah, when, when you were playing the third oboe in the Philharmonic. Recitals? You could have said art shows. Blair has been an artist. She has had exhibitions of her art. So in the further talking about this, Blair says, I remember every night you would sit at the edge of my bed and tell me how much you love me. And Monica's like, I thought you were sleeping. And Blair's like, no, I heard you every time. And it's just like, oh, oh God, I, I never would have outwardly shown okay. you affection what, if I thought you could else? hear it. Oh God, what else did you hear me say? Oh, <laughs> honey, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then Monica does get a little deeper here. And I like this. I like the way they do this, where she says, you know, the first moment they told me actually in that first moment, when he said you're pregnant, she says she felt joy, pure joy. And then she said to herself, you're not young anymore. Your marriage is over. And she looks at Blair and says, I travel, I have projects. And Blair says, well, what were you doing when you had me? And she says, I traveled and I had projects. And then the sort of big turning point moment where Monica says, and I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I never had you. And then this beautifully uh, pregnant pause uh, to requote you back, Kevin, where they turn the episode over to Marge Doucet, where they give her this moment of her sitting down, thinking she kind of wrings her hands somewhat uncomfortably and you see all of it going on behind the eyes. She is crushing it. And then she sighs and says, well, it's a good thing they make such attractive maternity clothes these days. Do they, Marge? Do they? Did they? <laughs> Two I mean, minutes. Yes, there was a whole lot going on behind her eyes. But she's known she was pregnant for how long? She knew she wasn't having it for how long? Two-minute conversation with her daughter saying, let me take care of it instead. You were mm -hmm. a great mom, even though you were never ever ever there except when you thought i was asleep mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, so so yes i i don't argue the moments and and marge herself were great but believably no get out of here with that shit. <laughs> no so I would have been okay if she even had gone one little step further this is in the you know for the subtlety impaired and have her say, I'm so proud. I, I can't imagine my life would have been like if I never had you. And then have her say, and imagine what this baby would be like if I can do even better this time around. Kind of mm -hmm. challenging herself, kind of at least uh, acknowledging. I mean, she does acknowledge the, her absence and all that. I, I would have been okay with that. Matthew, you don't agree. Just a fucking Neil Simon over here. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> in the time machine, there's my rewrites. They're going in. Um, so uh, with that, for, for speaking of the subtlety impaired, Tootie and Natalie come barreling down the stairs because it's about time for the sky sign to go by. And Natalie has her camera. Thought Tootie was the shutterbug, but now Natalie has a camera. And as Monica is still sitting there, having just said, I'm going to have this baby, here's the dialogue. I've only got one shot left. And then the other one says, well, then don't blow it. 
Oh, you see what they did there. Ooh. I don't I don't get it. I don't take the connection. Oh, Are you my fucking God. with me. Please be fucking with me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so while they all convene outside the store and you see all of them perfectly framed in the window looking heavenward and you hear the plane go overhead and apparently the sign says uh, uh, Burnett's hardware over our heads. Come see about us. What he was fuck? doing it for the gas and the glory, David. <laughs> it's, it's... I was like, what? Yeah, I, I, it wasn't even like a catchy. Yeah, it slogan. was like you couldn't have come to a slogan like yeah. uh, or just a sign that says fuck that mall or something. Yeah, right. I was going to say <laughs> shop local. Yeah, yeah, there it is right there. But I think the last joke was a great joke. I mean, for for what the episode was, for Blair to call him and be like, guess he's pregnant. Guess again. I'm sorry. I fucking am. I love Blair and I will always love Blair, but I am team fudge on this one. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kevin, this is the end of another glorious, very special episode. I really liked it an awful lot. I hope you enjoyed it (laughs) and forgive me for making you watch two for the price. No, no, it's all right. Kevin, before we let you go, what was your appointment television around this time when you were a kid? What was your favorite show? Because Facts of Life was ours. And this was the year the Golden Girls premiered in 85. So what was your appointment television for little straight Kevin? There was I watched. I mean, Charlie's Angels for the titties. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I watched everything. So, like, if it was if it was prime time, if it was like I watched it, what like was on with this? If, if there was always this and something like back to back, wasn't there? This was on Saturday. This season, it moved to Saturday night, so it was two two seven. Amen. Facts of life, and then the Golden Girls. I think. Yeah. Give me a break. So was watched- in there too. Give me a break. Also, I watched. Give me yes, yes. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. that oh and different strokes different strokes give me a break this um i didn't watch well i did but i didn't i, I on and off with 227 and amen but i this and um golden girls when it started yeah um so taking this time Love Boat, frame. fantasy island all of, yeah lobo fantasy island yes yeah that but that was before this and that was yeah so taking the time frame away from it, as opposed to right now, if I yep. say, Kevin, what was your favorite TV show as a kid growing up? Oh, uh, I should have prepped this. It, to me, Laverne and Shirley, when I was a kid. I'm, I'm it, from Milwaukee. So those were like required viewing. Happy Days oh, and Laverne and Shirley were kind of required. Totes. Yeah, I um, forgot about three, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost leaning towards Three's Company. Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. We're so happy to have you back. Maybe we'll have you back. Let's bring him back for season nine when they lose the baby. And oh oh my God. Okay. I have not laughed this hard in so long, Kevin. Oh, my cheeks (laughs) hurt. Mm. Well, thank you so much for doing the show. It has been lovely to be back in touch with you and Gabby. I would love to say this was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I'd love to. Thank but you. I can't. I cannot. Fuck you. Fuck you very much. <laughs> Smooches, my dear, and uh, goodbye. Mwah, mwah. Next time I'll watch four, four episodes 
just in case. Okay, just in case. <laughs> and there you have it. That was Kevin Kriegel. How about that oops of sending him the wrong link to the wrong episode? I cannot believe I did that. And uh, I still feel bad about it, but Kevin was very sweet, as you heard, and uh, he took it in stride. And uh, if you have a couple extra minutes, I encourage you, go back and listen to the start of the show again, but now listen with the knowledge that as we're talking about Blair's mother and abortion and all that, what was going through his head as far as why are they talking about this stuff? Oh, goodness. Any Um, The next thing is, uh, I'm embarrassed on behalf of myself and Matthew that for 140 episodes, we've been referring to the FOLCU, and at no time did it occur to either of us to call it the FOLCU. I'm I'm so mad at myself, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit furious, but... Anyway, that's why there are funny people like Kevin Kriegel in our lives to point those things out to us. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 7, Episode 7, Duwa. You can watch the episode ahead of time at dailymotion.com. You can find the link in the show notes or on this episode's webpage. That's all for now. Thank you again so much, guys, for tuning in this week. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.